Morning all, morning. Here we go. This is a cracker of a chapter. This is chapter 40 of Isaiah. This is where we leave cranky old Isaiah and we move into chilled Isaiah. There is so much in this chapter. There's so many sermons in this chapter. I mean, John's going to double click on it later, but wow, just one sermon on this whole chapter. Wow, amazing. So we've gone from last week, we had chapter 31, uh, remember? Whoa, whoa, whoa. Now, here we go, chapter 40. We start with comfort. Comfort my people, says your God. Speak tenderly to Jerusalem and proclaim to her that her hard service has been completed, that her sin has been paid for, that she's received from the Lord's hand double for all her sins. A voice of one calling in the wilderness, prepare the way of the Lord, make straight in the desert a highway for our God. Every valley shall be raised up, every mountain and hill made low. The rough ground shall become level, the rugged places are plain, and the glory of the Lord will be revealed, and all people will see it together, for the mouth of the Lord has spoken. The voice says, cry out. And I said, what shall I cry? All people are like grass, and all their faithfulness is like the flowers in the field. The grass withers, and the flowers fall, because the breath of the Lord blows on them. Surely the people are grass. Grass withers, the flowers fall, but the word of our God endures forever. You who bring good news to Zion, go up on a high mountain. You who bring good news to Jerusalem, lift up your voice with a shout, lift it up. Do not be afraid. Say to the towns of Judah, here is your God. See, the sovereign Lord comes with power and his rules with a mighty arm. See. His reward is with him, and his recompense accompanies him. He tends his flock like a shepherd. He gathers the lambs in his arms and carries them close to his heart. He gently leads those that have young. Who has measured the waters in the hollow of his hand, or with the breadth breadth of his hand marked off the heavens? Who has held the dust of the earth in a basket, or weighed the mountains on the scales and the hills in a balance? Who can fathom the spirit of the Lord? Or instruct the Lord as his counsellor? Whom did the Lord consult to enlighten him? And who taught him the right way? Who was it that taught him knowledge or showed him path of understanding? Surely the nations are like a drop in a bucket. They're regarded as dust on the scales. He weighs the islands as though they were fine dust. Lebanon is not sufficient for altar fires, nor its animals enough for burnt offerings. Before him, all the nations are as nothing. They're regarded by him as worthless and less than nothing. With whom, then, will you compare God? To what image will you liken him? As for an idol, a metal worker casts it, a goldsmith overlays it with gold and fashions silver chains for it. A person too poor to present such an offering selects wood that will not rot. They look for a skilled worker to set up an idol that will not topple. Do you not know? Have you not heard? Has it not been told you from the beginning? Have you not understood since the earth was founded? He sits enthroned above the circle of the earth, and its peoples are like grasshoppers. 
He stretches out the heavens like a canopy and spreads them out like a tent to live in. He brings princes to naught and reduces the rulers of this world to nothing. No sooner are they planted, no sooner are they sown, no sooner do they take root in the ground than he blows on them and they wither and a whirlwind sweeps them away like chaff. To whom will you compare me? Or who is my equal, says the Holy One. Lift up your eyes and look to the heavens. Who created all these? He who brings out the starry host one by one calls forth each of them by name because of his great power and mighty strength. Not one of them is missing. Why do you complain, Jacob? Why do you say, Israel, my way is hidden from the Lord? My cause is disregarded by my God. Do you not know? Have you not heard? The Lord is the everlasting God, the creator of the ends of the earth. He will not grow tired or weary, and his understanding no one can fathom. He gives strength to the weary and increases the power of the weak. Even youths grow tired and weary, and young men stumble and fall. But those who hope in the Lord will renew their strength. They will soar on wings like eagles. They will run, not be weary. They will walk, not be faint. JT. Thank you, Rob. And in answer to your question, uh, I cheat. And I will only spend uh, time in the first 11 verses. <laughs> but it is good to get the, the bigger picture of things. And certainly be great if you can keep your Bible open now or your app open. And, and really one of my goals in, in terms of how I preach every week is to... Is to I put a lot of verses up on the screen. Uh, sometimes I just feel like I'm really just joining verses together with a few words in between. Uh, but what I really hope to do is, is keep pointing you back to Scripture to say, here's what it's saying, and let me show you from Scripture uh, what it's saying, that it's not just my opinion, uh, but, but here's what God's Word says. But before we get into God's Word, uh, let me ask a question, uh, and, and you can share in a moment with the person next to you. Who would you really like to meet? You know, someone you respect and admire, someone who you would love to imitate, uh, perhaps in their success or ability. Uh, someone, if they came to your home, that this would just be a story that you would talk about forever. Like, we're talking a lot of selfies. Okay, so who, who's sort of someone who fits in that sort of category for you? Uh, discuss with the person next to you, like really briefly. All right, time's up. Not a lot of time, but I hope you've got someone in your mind. Hold that thought. Uh, we'll come back to it a little bit later. But let me pray as we get into this passage uh, for today. Uh, dear Lord, as we come to your word now, I pray that my words might honour you, that we understand your word clearly and hear the things you want us to hear. Amen. A crisis doesn't always end well, but when they do, there's this moment when you go from this is never going to end, there is no hope, to then realising it's going to be okay. And in that moment, there's exhaustion, but there's also this thankfulness and relief, this sense that it's over. Uh, for me, one of those moments was at McMaster's Beach uh, years and years ago, 
Uh, I was uh, out swimming. I got caught in a rip uh, with, with a whole bunch of other people, actually, and, and really did everything wrong. You know, they, they tell you don't swim against the rip, you know, either swim to deep water or swim across the rip. But in my sort of desperation and, and panic, and I was trying to help someone else, uh, you know, I'm trying to swim against this rip. And, and it's just one of those big surf days, you know, really heavy surf. So I'm just getting, you know, dumped again and again and again. And I think my low of lows in that moment was, was when I, I'd just been dumped and I, I couldn't work out which way was up to, you know, get back to the surface. And, and I was just, you know, I, I genuinely thought, I'm not sure how long I can do this for. And, uh, and anyway, so I'm in this moment, and, and I was watching, you know, the surf lifesavers try to come out and get us, and, and they hadn't had a lot of success. And then finally, I get to this point where my foot hits the ground. And I'll tell you, that sand has never felt so good. And you go from that moment of going, we're going to be okay. And as we get into our our passage today, that's really where things start, with that word of comfort. But before we get there, uh, we're about halfway through our series, and today's quite a big transition point in terms of the movement of the book of Isaiah. So let me give you the, the short version of the plot so far. So the book of Isaiah begins with the southern kingdom of Judah on the brink of complete collapse. So the kingdom is divided, the nations around are circling like this pack of hyenas, and God's word through Isaiah is a a mix of court case and presenting the evidence against Judah and a frustrated parent. Now, why don't you listen? God's people have rejected their God and he has warned them and he has punished them, but they refuse to listen. And their rejection isn't just about rejecting God. It's also about rejecting God's way of living. And so they've embraced corruption and they often at the expense of the most vulnerable. But in all of this, there's also been this theme of restoration. God has a plan to send someone who will bring genuine, lasting peace. So from a few weeks ago, for us, a child is born to us, a son is given. And the government will be on his shoulders and he'll be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. And part of this peace will be dealing with the consequences of sin, not just for Judah, but for all nations. So he says, on this mountain, he will destroy the shroud that enfolds all peoples, the shroud that covers all nations. He will swallow up death. And then in a surprisingly good plot twist, uh, God destroys Assyria, who were the rod of God's judgment but have now become punished by God and has rescued Judah from Assyria. And so there's this, we reach this sort of moment in time where we feel perhaps we've found peace. we found the peace that's been promised. But the downfall of Assyria turns out to be more the eye of a storm. So when you're in the eye of a storm, it looks like the worst has passed. You know, there's this, this moment of sort of peace in the middle, And then, of course, it all continues. And that's what it looks like here. It looks like peace, but really it's just a momentary pause in the chaos. And so Isaiah 39 uh, ends with these words. Then Isaiah said to Hezekiah, Hear the word of the Lord Almighty. 
the time will surely come when everything in your palace and all your predecessors have stored up until this day will be carried off to Babylon. And now we get to Isaiah 40, and, and Isaiah has completely skipped uh, the events around the fall of Judah and the exile in Babylon. And in Isaiah 40, Babylon, the city still exists, but Babylon, the empire, has been conquered by the Persians. And so all of this happens over a period of about 70 years in terms of the exile. And then after 70 years, the king of Persia, uh, by the name, his name's Cyrus, he declares, the Lord, the God of heaven, has given me all the kingdoms of the earth and he has appointed me to build a temple for him at Jerusalem in Judah. Any of his people amongst you may go up and may the Lord their God be with them. So in terms of Isaiah, he is now talking about things that will happen beyond his lifetime. So he's recording these words, give or take, about 700 BC, but he's describing events that will happen in about 530 BC. And then Isaiah begins in this chapter 40 with these words of comfort. Comfort, comfort my people, says your God. Speak tenderly to Jerusalem and proclaim to her that her hard service has been completed, that her sins have been paid for, that she's received from the Lord's hand double for all her sins. So if the king of Assyria is God's rod of judgment, then Cyrus, the king of Persia, will be the balm that soothes and heals. And so Isaiah is looking to a time when God's judgment has come to an end and now God comes to bring restoration. And so often through Israel's history, you see this offer of forgiveness and restoration and reconciliation and so often they treat that offer with contempt. You know, they want good things from God, but they don't want the God who stands behind those good things. And a time is going to come when, once again, they've got the opportunity to get things right. And so Isaiah looks forward to this time of comfort, but it's also a time to prepare. A voice of one calling in the wilderness, prepare the way of the Lord. Now, I want you to imagine for a second, this will be harder for some than others, uh, that you are a devoted royal watcher. Okay, if you want to insert the person you thought of at the beginning, uh, that's fine. But we'll go with the royal watcher. Okay, you, you love the Queen. Uh, you love Will and Kate. Uh, you have the commemorative uh, royal wedding mug and matching dinner set. Uh, and now they're coming to your home. You know, we get stressed when, when a friend comes over for lunch. Uh, you know, let alone a once-in-a-lifetime moment. Uh, you don't just clean the house and you know, buy new curtains and get some flowers. You, know, you want to have everything just right. You prepare the whole household. You want to make sure that you, know, you dress in a way that's appropriate. And when your kids roll out of bed in their you know, trackies and flannies and uggies, you know, scratching their armpits, you, you, know, you, want, you, know, you, you tell them to you know, get your house in order, all right? Yeah, we need to look the part. Uh, and part of it is that we, we want to honour the person who is coming. And part of it is that we, we don't want to be humiliated, uh, that we want to be honoured. Uh, now, if that's true in our social interactions, then how much more do we need to prepare for the coming of the Lord? You know, in their immediate context, you know, these words anticipate the rebuilding of the temple. But that's nothing compared 
to their ultimate fulfillment. Uh, Because these words will be spoken again. And the voice will be a guy by the name of John, who we most know as John the Baptist. And his message was, the Lord is coming, repent of your sin. Uh, Which simply means to turn away from your wrong behaviour and do the right behaviour, do what God wants you to do. And baptism was a, a symbol of that repentance, that sense of washing clean and fresh start. So there's this anticipation, but also reverence and power and inevitability. Nothing is going to stop the Lord coming. Every valley shall be raised, every mountain and hill made low. The rough ground shall become level, the rugged places a plain. And the glory of the Lord will be revealed, and all people will see it together. And so the message is, this will happen you need to be prepared. And it will happen because unlike us, God is faithful to his promises. All people are like grass and all their faithfulness is like the flowers of the fields. You know, flowers are beautiful, but they're not known for their longevity. Uh, So it's this wonderfully vivid description of humanity. Humanity can be beautiful. Uh, We are created in God's image and woven into that image are so many good things, but in amongst it is our ability to love, to love generously and compassionately and sacrificially and creatively. But sadly, as people, we are not known for our faithfulness. Uh, We can be generous and compassionate, uh, but we are also astoundingly selfish. And so often our idea of love becomes less about others and more about me and satisfying my desires and me wanting you to satisfy my desires. And at the heart of that attitude is sin. It's my life and I will do what I want. And more and more we see my desire representing my true self and the presumption is my true self is my best self. So on a society level, we don't just accept that we sin, we embrace sin and we celebrate it. Now, that's our natural attitude. That was the attitude of Judah. That's the attitude that John the Baptist speaks against. And that's the attitude that took Jesus to the cross. So we're so often faithless, but thankfully God is faithful Uh, The grass withers and the flowers fall, but the word of our God endures forever. His word here is about his promises. God has promised Israel that they would be his chosen people, that he would make them a great nation. He's promised that he will rescue all people from sin. And so in the time of Isaiah, we see some of that rescue, and we certainly see Judah being rescued from some of the consequences of their sin. He's rescued them from the Assyrians, and there's this restoration under Cyrus. But God hasn't, in in Isaiah's time, dealt with the heart of sin. And even Isaiah is looking forward to a time when God's going to bring all of these promises to an ultimate, complete fulfilment. And and Isaiah's confident because, unlike us, God is faithful to his promises. 
And we should be, as Christians now, where we stand in history, even more confident because we've seen the events of the cross. We've seen how God is working out those promises and we know that there's still more to come. So, so far in Isaiah, we've got this sense of prepare for the glory of God because unlike us, God is faithful to his promises and he is coming. And part of that preparation is proclaiming the good news that God is faithful to his promises. You who bring good news to Jerusalem, lift up your voice with a shout. Lift it up and do not be afraid. Say to the towns of Judah, here is your God. See, the sovereign Lord comes with power and he rules with a mighty hand. See, his reward is with him and his recompense accompanies him. You know, Judah has been beaten by the nations around them. They've lived with the enemy literally at their gate and they've been left questioning God's power. Is God really in control? Does God really have power over the other gods of the nations around them? In reality, they've misread the signs. You know, God has exercised his power, but it's been through the nations around them. And God has judged Assyria and God has judged Babylon. And that same power that brings justice to all of them also has the strength to bring protection. And the reward for those who recognise that power is reconciliation and forgiveness, both in the present, but also, as we all face, the inevitability of death. So if a mighty arm you know, image is of strength and protection, then somewhat poetically, Isaiah then adds the image of gentleness and compassion. He tends his flock like a shepherd. He gathers the lambs in his arms and carries them close to his heart. He gently leads those that have young. Yeah, every now and again, you get one of those icebreaker questions. If you could be any animal, what would you be? I'm pretty sure no one has ever said, I want to be a sheep. Now, if you think about sheep, you know, they're not known for their intelligence. Uh, they do tend uh, to, you know, follow one another somewhat blindly. And when it comes to being, you know, on the food chain, uh, we know they all sit pretty low in the scheme of things. The only real defence is they will get sort of stuck in your teeth. So I don't think any of us particularly like the idea of being called a sheep. But I suspect, as we think about us and reflect on it a bit more, that it's perhaps more true than we'd like to admit. Uh, we are pretty smart. Uh, humans can do incredible things. Uh, but we clearly don't have all the answers. And clearly we live in a world that is full of brokenness and complexity. You know, as we think about our tendency to follow one another, you know, again, we hate to admit it, but it is kind of true, isn't it? We are influenced by people around us. We're influenced by the advertising. We're influenced by all the things that come up on Facebook. And we do so often feel vulnerable. And not so much about being eaten, hopefully, uh, but we do feel vulnerable within ourselves, don't we, as we deal with our own sense of inadequacy or anxiety. You know, we feel vulnerable in terms of our physical health. Uh, we feel vulnerable in terms of our relationships and our friendships and even our work relationships. Because we all want to be able, we all want to be loved, uh, we want to love, uh, we want to be respected. And so God sees all of that frailty and he has compassion and he shows mercy. Uh, in the words of Psalm 23, the Lord is my shepherd, I lack nothing. He makes me lie down in green pastures, he leads me beside quiet waters, 
He refreshes my soul. He guides me along the right paths for his name's sake. You know, he knows what we need and he knows where to find it. And often what we need isn't what we want, but that's the whole point of needing a shepherd, that by ourselves we never really find the right way for ourselves. But in the history of Judah, we get a glimpse of God fulfilling these promises in, uh, to Judah. Now, the glory of God is restored in the temple. God is shepherding his people. But again, it's still looking forward to greater things. There's still more to come in terms of making paths straight and raising up every valley. And then we see in Jesus just how much the shepherd really does love his sheep. I'm the good shepherd. The good shepherd lays down his life for his sheep. And as we stand on the other side of the cross, we can actually see that the path is straight. Uh, that God has dealt with the threat of sin. He's dealt with uh, the threat of death. He has sent his spirit to move faithless hearts to be faithful. And so he now waits patiently to bring it all together. He waits patiently for us to get our head around what he has done and how we need to respond. And then finally, he promises this. For the lamb at the centre of the throne will be with their shepherd. He will lead them to springs of living water and God will wipe away every tear from their eyes. And so that's the movement from promised to perfected. Now we see glimpses of it in the present, uh, but we look forward to it being perfected in the future. And so as Isaiah reflects on the power and the compassion of God, he says to those returning to Jerusalem, this is the good news that you need to proclaim. Here is your God. Now, that's a very personal declaration, your God, the one true God, the God who creates and loves, the God who has compassion and shows mercy to me, and the God who offers mercy to anyone who will accept it. But how can we accept a mercy that we've never heard of? You know, lift up your voices with a shout, lift up, do not be afraid. You know, over the next uh, little while, we're going to talk a lot more as a church uh, about how we proclaim the good news. But it does start with our own conviction, doesn't it? If we're not convinced of something being true, if we're not convinced that it's good, then we're really not going to risk an awful lot to tell someone else. And if you're not quite sure what you would say uh, if you were ever given that invitation to share what it means for you to be a Christian, then here's a few things to at least consider. Uh, firstly, pray. Uh, pray that my, God might give you the opportunity. Pray that God might give you the words. Uh, secondly, we do need to be people of integrity. So when people see the way we live, when people see the way we treat other people, uh, that is either going to commend our faith and commend Christ, or it's going to do completely the opposite. Uh, they're going to look at us, they're going to look at our life, and they're going to go, well, if that is what it means to be a Christian, then I don't want any part of it. And so it starts with our own integrity. Uh, let people know that you're a Christian. You know, I don't chat uh, heaps when I go out surfing. I'm, I'm too busy uh, you know, trying to catch something, and that's not pretty. Uh, but every now and again, as I'm, I'm sitting out the back, you, know, you, you get into a bit of a conversation, and you know, people ask you, what do you do for work? Or, or sometimes I try to slip in, you, you know, I can't surf on, on Sundays because I, I go to church. 
And I'm constantly surprised how that, that sort of morsel of an, of an acknowledgement then becomes a longer conversation. And often, you know, you, you have half of a conversation, go and catch a wave, come back, continue the conversation. And, uh, and it's just this, this wonderful small opportunity. And so I suppose my first encouragement is simply, do people know that you're a Christian uh, amongst your, your family, friends, neighbours, you know, work colleagues? I think then rather than talking at someone, we do need to talk with someone. You know, ask them about their life. Ask questions about what they believe. And, and hopefully that then provides permission and space for you to talk about your life and share what it means for you to be a Christian. Uh, create space where people can ask questions without feeling like if I ask a question, this is just going to go down a never-ending rabbit hole. You know, help people have a conversation. Yeah, we can't control how people respond. We can't control whether it's going to be a short conversation or a long conversation. But at very least, uh, we can start by at least creating the space for a conversation. And in your own mind, as you sort of think about having those conversations, how would you answer the question, why are you a Christian? So before you're in the conversation, it's always hard to think on the spot. But, but, you know, today, as you go home, why are you a Christian? If you had to give the short version of that answer, uh, what would it be? You know, as Isaiah looks forward to a time of comfort... And as we see Christ, we can see how God is working out and being faithful to his word. Uh, But we're not at the end yet. And so our job is to do everything in our power, uh, recognising that God's spirit is behind all of it, uh, to prepare the way, uh, to simply make the most of the time that we've been given. And so let me close with these words from Peter. The Lord is not slow in keeping his promise as some understand slowness. Instead, he is patient with you, not wanting anyone to perish, but everyone to come to repentance. Amen.